Well, hey friends, welcome to Seacoast. My name is Josh, I'm one of the pastors here at the church. So glad that you are here with us this weekend. I wanna welcome you. If you're joining us online or at a campus, wherever you might be, we are excited that you chose to worship with us this weekend. For the last few weeks, we've been in a series called Welcome Home, where we're taking a closer look at who God has called us to be, what he's called us to do. In week one of this series, Pastor Greg talked with us about our first and most important value, and that is we exist to help people find God, man, our heart is that you would step into a relationship with God through Christ. In week two, we talked about growing our faith. We don't just want you to come to know him, but we want faith to rise up in you, that you would walk with him daily. Last week, Pastor Lee talked with us about discovering our purpose. What has God created us personally, individually to do? And this week, we are gonna talk about making a difference. But before we do that, I'm curious, from Asheville to McClellanville and everywhere in between, how many of you are hopeful and expectant to encounter God for yourselves this weekend? Let me hear you. All right. I was a little lame. <laughs> Let's try it one more time. How many of you want a word from God this weekend? Let me hear you. Come on. That's it. All right, so here's what I want us to do. Come expectant and hungry. Just open up your hands before the Lord, and I just wanna pray that he would encounter us wherever we might be today. God, we thank you so much for this time together as a church family here and across all of our campuses and online, and we just come before you with hands open, symbolic of a heart that is open to encounter you. You tell us that your word does not return void, so I just pray as we set aside these next few minutes to get in it, that heaven would intersect earth right, right here in our lives, God, that you would show up and reveal yourself to us in a powerful way. We give you this time, in Jesus' name, amen. So there's a little girl who was in fourth grade elementary school and her class had just finished a study on oceanography. They studied the landscape of the ocean floor, talked about waves and animals in the sea, and the teacher asked every kid in the class to write a one-page paper. They could pick it on anything that they had studied. So the little girl went home, talked with her mom, looked through her notes, and decided, I'm gonna write my paper on whales because then I could talk about Jonah and the whale and I could tell my class about God. So she writes her one-page paper, titles it The Coolest Sleepover Ever. And uh, she goes to talk with her class about this guy named Jonah who got to spend the night with a whale, actually in a whale, not one night, but two nights, but three nights. She tells the story and she finishes the class. It's like, woo, good job. You know, she goes to sit down and the teacher says, well, sweetie, um, we never actually talked about the anatomy of the whale, but just to speak to that for a minute, a whale's throat is actually not large enough to swallow a human being, so it's very unlikely that that happened, but even if it did, the toxins in the whale's belly would probably either kill a person or they would drown, and so it's probably not likely that that story actually happened. So the little girl said, well, when, when I get to heaven, I'll ask him. I'll, I'll ask him, did that actually happen? And the teacher said, well, sweetie, what if he's not in heaven? And then the little girl turned to the teacher and said, well, then I'll let you ask him. <laughs> Isn't that good? <laughs> nice little way to slide that in there for the teacher. <laughs> That's so good. Now think for just a minute about what just happened, okay? I told you a story, cheesy little story with a punchline, and at about the same time across all of our campuses, we all responded. Something happened inside of us. Chances are you didn't think consciously should I laugh at this? You didn't make a choice. You know what, I'm gonna laugh now. 
almost involuntarily, it just came out. And something that happened inside of you, maybe that you weren't even aware of, became visible. It created a shared experience that we all had together. That happens in times of laughter and joy. It can also happen in moments of sadness. Katie and I like watching that show, This Is Us. And uh, without fail, every single week, like I don't know when it's gonna happen, but they have the ability in telling a story to touch your heart. And out of nowhere, my eyes start sweating a little bit. I'm trying to play it cool. Like I'm not crying at a TV show right now, but I am. It's what's happening, right? Can happen in moments of, of sadness where something that's happening inside of you becomes visible by way of tears and emotion. It's something that we all experience last week across all of our campuses during ocean baptism. People that made a personal, a private decision made that public through baptism. In Acts chapter two, after having received the good news about Jesus, thousands of people said, what are we supposed to do with this? And Peter's response was to repent and be baptized. And thousands, the Bible tells us in Acts 2.41 that 3,000 people walked down to the lake that day. They didn't have board shorts or beach bags or towels. They were wearing cloaks and tunics. Men, women, and children walked down to this lake, down into the waters. And the picture that I can't help but shake in my mind is them coming up out of the water, walking on these dirt roads, right, where it might have been normative to see one or two people, three people that were like wet, but thousands of people drenched, women with long hair, soaking wet. These dirt roads eventually became muddy from so many wet people walking up them. Eventually, people had to say like, man, what's going on with all y'all, what happened? And slowly, people began to hear that this personal, private decision to follow Jesus was made public through baptism. We got to celebrate that last week with dozens of men and women and couples, families that stepped down into the water together. Baptism introduced a process by which our faith became visible. Something that we believed in our hearts, a decision that we made in our mind became public that people would know what we believe by way of what we act, not just as they stepped out of the water. People didn't come out of the lake that day and step into heaven, but they returned to their village to walk out, 2 Corinthians 5.20. It says, we therefore are Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. As they step back into their lives, having made a decision to follow Jesus, they walked out their faith daily. This isn't a concept that, that's new to us. James 2, 14 through 17, there on your outline, says it this way. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and anyone says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also, faith by itself, if, not, if it does not have works, is dead. So faith, something that we believe internally, if not accompanied by something that's visible, is dead. It's saying that our works would prove to be the evidence or the sincerity of our faith, that what we believe inside of us will become visible, that it would become a shared experience by the way that we live. Well, the faith without works is dead. It makes me think, well, what is the flip side of that coin? What would be the equation that leads to life? Jesus tells us that without faith, it's impossible to please God. We know that Jesus did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. Well, that equation makes me think that if we are men and women of faith, if we were to live our lives in the same way that Jesus did, to pour ourselves out for others, 
then maybe that would be the key for us experiencing the abundant life that Christ came to offer. I think in some way we all know this, but we also know that in many ways we don't do this. We don't walk that out, and part of that is because of our own sin, and part of it's because of the world that we live in. There are forces at work against us, waging against us that we might not be Christ's ambassadors, that we might not make the difference that he's called us to make. What are a couple of those things? I put a few of them there on your outline, the first of which is your past. We know ourselves better than anyone else. We know the places that we've been, the things that we've done, the sin that we struggle with, the labels that we've put on ourselves. We might have thoughts like, man, I wanna make a difference, but I'm a liar, I'm a cheater, I'm an addict, I've been divorced, I've stolen. You know, whatever the list might be, we disqualify ourselves because of our past. Instead of our past preparing us or equipping us to go and minister to others or bless others, we'll remove ourselves from the game before we ever get involved. Our past can keep us from making a difference. Second thought there on your outline is the crowd. Man, oftentimes the pressure or questions of others can keep us from making a difference. You know, if you're a family or if you come to church once every four, five, six weeks, and for whatever reason, God's moving in your heart, and you're like, man, I wanna go back the next week, I wanna go back the next week. You come to church two or three weeks in a row, and all of a sudden your family, your friends are gonna start being like, hey bro, what's up with that? <laughs> like, why are you going to church so much, man? You know we only do that once a month. <laughs> what's the deal? Or maybe you've got a neighbor or a coworker that God's like stirring in your heart, you wanna pray for them or bless them. They're in a tough spot financially and you wanna give to them. But you think like, man, if I, as I go to do that, what if they ask why? Like, why did you do that? You may not feel like you know enough about God or Jesus or the Bible to give them an answer. God led me, what does that mean? So instead of getting involved, the questions of the crowd can keep you from stepping out to make a difference at all. Another example would be the unknown. Number three, the unknown. It's like, man, you wanna step out, but you don't wanna fail, right? You don't wanna look like a bozo. Or you know that whoever you're stepping out to help, whoever, whoever's life you wanna make a difference in, they didn't get there overnight, and chances are you're not gonna help solve the problem overnight. So what if you stepping out to do something one time means that you're gonna have to do it 50 times, right? Man, the unknown can keep us from making a difference. There's probably a long list of things there, but there's three attributes, three things that, uh, that we can step into to help ensure that we make the difference. That, uh, that Christ has for each of us. And they're found in Luke chapter 10, verses 30 through 35 there on your outline. I wanna tee it up for you uh, just a little bit. An expert in the law comes to Jesus one day and he asks Jesus, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And so Jesus asks him, well, how do you interpret the law? What does the law say? And he says, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, and with all of your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus says, hey, you've interpreted the law correctly, do this and you will live. Well, to help kind of draw a box around who his neighbor is, to help him understand who he needs to love and more importantly, who he doesn't have to love, right? He asked Jesus, well, exactly who is my neighbor? And instead of drawing the lines for him or helping him understand exactly who that is, Jesus tells him a story there on your outline and it starts like this. A Jewish man was traveling from Jerusalem down to Jericho and he was attacked by bandits. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him up, and left him half dead beside the road. By chance, a priest came along, but when he saw the man lying there, he crossed to the other side of the road and passed by him. 
A temple assistant walked over and looked at him lying there, but he also passed by on the other side. Then a despised Samaritan came along, and he was despised because Jews and Samaritans did not associate with one another. Here now, two Jewish men have passed by a brother in need, crossed to the other side of the road and didn't help him, but this despised Samaritan, whom a Jew wouldn't have associated with, he does. It says, and when he saw the man, he felt compassion for him. Everybody say compassion. He felt compassion, something stirred up in his heart. And it says, going over to him, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine and bandaged them. Then he put the man on his own donkey and took him to an inn where he took care of him. The next day he handed the innkeeper two silver coins, telling him, take care of this man and if the bill runs higher than this, I will pay you the next time that I'm here. So three attributes of a difference maker. What can we learn from this man to help ensure that we make a difference with our lives, the first of which is there on your outline. We've got to have an open heart. We've gotta have an open heart. Luke 10, 35 said, then the despised Samaritan came along. When he saw the man, he felt compassion for him. Something happened in his heart when he saw this stripped, beaten, left for dead man laying there on the side of the road. He felt compassion, he was moved, and his compassion compelled him to step towards the pain. This is something we see over and over again in the ministry of Jesus. Mark 1:41 says, moved with compassion, Jesus reached out and touched him. I am willing, he said, be healed. A man with leprosy that most people would have moved away from, Jesus stepped towards with compassion in his heart. Matthew 14, 14, Jesus saw the crowd and as he stepped out from the boat, he had compassion on them and he healed their sick. From the individual to the masses, when he saw the hurting, compassion would well up in him and he would step towards them in their pain. Now, with a crowd this side, I know that there are some people here who tend to feel everything. Maybe you open up Instagram or Facebook or you're talking with a friend and you hear a story about one of their friends and at the end of the day, the things that you've seen and the stories that you heard, you feel like you carry everything. You pray for and you're burdened by all of the things that you see, it can move you to tears you know, in a moment. In the same hand, I know there's also people here who would say that, man, my life is so busy, my kids are so crazy, my husband is so wild, you know, whatever you say about him, that I hit the bed at night worn out. I, I feel numb inside, I don't feel like I've got the ability to feel a whole lot of anything because I go, 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 go. There's people on, on both ends of those spectrums. And the question for me is how do we take a step this week to live and love with an open heart that compassion would rise up in us? And the principle that's interesting for me of every passage that you see with Jesus where he had compassion and he was moved to step towards people is that they always had proximity to him. He never got tagged on an Instagram post of a problem or burden on the other side of the world that welled up compassion within him. It was always somebody within arm's reach. So my question for you is what pain is there around you this weekend or this week that maybe God might be inviting you to step towards, to have an open heart towards? And what would it look like for you to get involved in their pain? If you're struggling to be motivated towards that in any way. One of my favorite stories that always compels me is that of the prodigal son. It's there on the back of your outline. It's about this 
This young man who received his inheritance, he ran off and squandered it, kinda came to the end of himself and the end of his life, and he thought, man, I would be better off as one of my father's servants, so I'm just gonna go back home and apologize and see if he'll let me be a servant. Well, from the day he left, his father had his eyes fixed on the farthest horizon, and scripture tells us there in verse 20, it says, so he returned home to his father, and while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. Filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. The Bible tells us that we love because Jesus first loved us, and man, that story of the prodigal is my story, it's your story. While I was still a long way off, when I was far from God, while I was still a sinner, he sent his son to die on the cross for me. And when I did not have him on my mind, he had his eyes on me with love in his heart and compassion for me, he ran after me. Why should you make it a priority to live with an open heart this week? Because that was God's heart for you. He had incredible compassion, incredible love for you in his heart. And if we'll start with those around us, with whom we have proximity to pain. One of my favorite verses is Acts 17, 26. It says, for God created each of us and, and birthed us in set times and exact places. That means the land that you live on, your street address, was known by God before the land was even developed. And if that's true of you, it's also true for your neighbor, your coworker, your barista. You could have been born anywhere in the world, any time in the world, but he chose this place and this time that you would go and be difference makers, that you would be his hands and feet. So where is the pain around you that you could step towards and allow compassion to rise up in you that it would compel you to step towards it with an open heart? Number two there on the back of your island, second attribute is that we would have willing hands. Have willing hands. Luke 10, 34 says, going over to him, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine and bandaged them. He soothed his, his wounds with olive oil and wine. When was the last time you bandaged somebody's wounds? We went over a friend's house recently who's a dermatologist and he has what he calls wart night at his house, kind of like playoff wart night, wart night, where kids with warts can come over and he freezes them and so, our, uh, isn't that funny? Our, uh, a couple of our boys had some and so we go over there and it was fun, we play and seeing older kids do it and tough through it kind of helps the little kids get through it, but as we left over the days that followed, you would have thought my kids had shotgun wounds. You know, they're going around the house like, oh, daddy, will you make me some toast and jelly? You know, like that hand still works, bro. Make, make your breakfast, you know? But there's only one way to bandage people's wounds. For all the advances that we have in healthcare, doctors can do surgeries with like amaz amazing precision. We can transplant organs. We can treat and cure cancer. But when it comes to bandaging someone's wound, it still comes down to one person, a doctor or a nurse, a mom or a dad, standing over an open wound, pouring on the right kinds of ointment, cleaning them up. And when I think about this story, they didn't have any surgical gloves, you know? That, that man probably wasn't traveling up the road with any peroxide, right? He pulled out oil and wine to bandage these wounds. A naked, beaten, half-bloody man Whenever my kids run up to me with scrapes and bruises, there's been a couple times where our kids have gotten bad wounds, you know? And whenever you scoop them up, you get their dirt and sweat and blood on you, you know, you look like you're the one that's been injured. But it's because you've got willing hands. Willing hands. One of my favorite examples of this in scripture comes from Mark 6, 34 through 37. It's been a long day of ministry 
for the disciples. They get into a boat and push out from the shore, but people on both sides of the lake are watching Jesus and the disciples move along, and as their boat lands, all the people converge, and it tells us there at the top of the outline that when Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. Here again, his heart was moved, and so he begins to teach the people and the disciples. It's been a long day. They're like, Jesus, these people have traveled a long way. It's getting late. They're hungry. We've got to send them back home so they can get something to eat, and I love Jesus' response to them. It was the portion of the story that stood out to me. He says, you feed them. You feed them. When he tells us to have willing hands, as the man did in this story, this is God the Father empowering us to go and do the ministry of Jesus. Jesus told us that we would do even greater things than he did. When you think about the miracles and ministry of Jesus, what kind of things stand out to you? Giving sight to the blind, opening up ears of the deaf, raising the dead to life, miraculously meeting the needs of people. These are the kind of things that the Father has empowered us to do. And when the disciples came to Jesus talking about they're hungry, and he said, you feed them, they were thinking about it logically in the sense of like, man, if it costs this much to feed five people, I've got one, two, three, four, uh, it would take a year's wages. That was their response to Jesus. It would take a year's wages to feed this many people. You really want us to go and spend that much money? But Jesus' question to them was, well, what do you have in your hands? What do we have available to us? So they looked around, they had a couple loaves of bread and a few fishes, they brought those to Jesus. He prayed over them, blessed them, and then broke them and the food multiplied. And now the disciples who were thinking about willing hands, meeting this need logically, were on the front row of a miracle. They got to experience the miraculous as they chose to get their hands dirty, as they got involved in the feeding of these people. So my question for us today is what do you have in your hands? You know, for some of us, as we begin to live with an open heart, as we see the pain of those around us, you might encounter an addict of some kind. And you would be quick to think like, man, I've never, I've never struggled with substance abuse. I don't know that I've really got anything to offer there. You might see a, a marriage that's unraveling, a friend next door, and you've seen some of the tears in the driveway, you've overheard the fighting, but your marriage just isn't in that same place. You don't know that you can, you can relate but he's asking, what do you have in your hands? And for some of you, maybe you happen to have an hour. You've got a little bit of margin this week, or you've got a little bit of extra cash. You've got a little something in your hand that if you would bring it to him, this is what I've got this week. Man, he would breathe on it and bless it and multiply it, but we've got to be willing to have willing hands, to get involved, to not just hear about pain and problems, but to actively get involved in their stories, to walk with them, for a while. So what would it look like for you to have willing hands this week? Maybe for some of you it looks like joining the dream team. Maybe you've been coming to church for a while but you've never taken that next step to get involved, to use your gifts and talents to actively make a difference in the lives of others. That you're gonna serve in Kids Coast, to sit down with a child, to tell them how much God loves them, that he desires to have a relationship with them. Maybe you're gonna serve in the parking lot, help park cars or drive trolleys or brew coffee. How many of you would say yes and amen to having coffee on the weekend, right? Somebody showed up and brewed that to serve and be a blessing. Maybe you're gonna join the dream team. Maybe it's with a coworker or a neighbor or a family member, someone that you've seen pain 
And maybe compassion has arised up in you in some way, and you're gonna take a step, willing hands would say, all right, I've got a little bit of time. I'm gonna go knock on their door. I'm gonna give them a call. I'm gonna invite them to lunch. I'm gonna walk with them for a while in some way that I would become a part of their story. God, would you use me here? So number one, we've gotta have an open heart. Number two, we've gotta have willing hands. And number three there on your outline is shared resources. The third attribute of our difference maker is that we would share our resources. Luke 10, 34 through 35 says it this way. Then he put the man on his own donkey and took him to an inn where he took care of him. The next day he handed the innkeeper two silver coins telling him, take care of this man and if the bill runs higher than this, I will pay you the next time that I'm here. Three different resources we see this man provide that are there on your outline and the first of which is his time. The beginning of this story, we learned that he was on his own journey. There was somewhere that he was going and traveling in biblical times was not like today. We can get in our car and go anywhere, pretty much anytime, and feel relatively safe. When the Bible, just like the man that had been beaten and left for dead on the side of the road, that wasn't the case. You traveled based on sunup and sundown, typically traveling in groups because bandits would hang out to do this very thing. So he had a timeline, he had a place that he was going, but when he saw the man that had been beaten and left for dead, he deviated from his plan. He was willing to give of his time. Man, we've only got so much of it every day. We've only got so much of it every week. Anytime we share our time, it's our most precious commodity, but it's something that we can give to others. We saw him give his time. Secondly, he gave his talents. I see this guy as a man of influence. What's so interesting to me in this story is that put yourself in the innkeeper's shoes. It's like, hey man, I've got this naked guy here who's beaten bloody and I need you to help take care of him. And it's like, bro, I'm an in, like, I, I carry people's bags, you know? Or imagine walking in Starbucks with this dude. Like, I found this guy outside. I've got him some food. I've cleaned him up. I've bandaged him, but I need you to take care of him until the end of the work day. I've gotta go to work. I'll come back. It's like, bro, I'm a barista, man. <laughs> like, I'm 15, bro. I don't know, how to, what do I do? <laughs> this guy, just so, but I see him as a man of influence. He leveraged his personal influence, leveraged his resources to help make a difference in this guy's life. And lastly, our time, our talents, and our treasures. He gave him two coins. He pulled out two bills, right? And said, hey, I'm gonna pay. This is money for his needs today. If you can make sure he's fed, get him anything else he needs. If it runs higher than this, I'll give you some more money the next time that I'm here. But we can leverage our resources to actively make a difference in somebody's life. There's one way that you could do that this weekend that I'm really excited about. Our Dream Center Clinic started in 2009 uh, through Adopt-A-Block. Several medical professionals that were a part of Adopt-A-Block noticed the need and, and thought, man, we ought to do something about this, so they started a mobile clinic. Well, one year later, the demand was so high that they had to move it inside the actual Dream Center and establish the Dream Center Clinic as its own 501 C3, and as of today, there's over 100 medical professionals that volunteer their time, that leverage their talents to make a difference in the lives of others. They offer free healthcare, 12 different kinds of service, dental and vision and prescription and lab services in addition to primary care. We just started our second Dream Center at our West Ashley campus providing primary care, and their operating budget every year is 125 
$1,000, of which they are about 15,000 short for this year. The rest of the money has come in. So one thing you could do this weekend to share of your resources is to text the word clinic in any amount to 320-320, and you can help close that gap and actively meet a need there in the lives of others by sharing your resources. The giving of your time, your talents, and your treasures. Proverbs 19:17 says it this way. Whoever is kind to the poor lends to the Lord, and he will reward them for what they have done. Essentially, when we give to the poor, it's saying it's as if you've done it unto the Lord. They may never be able to repay you, but it pleases God, and he will reward you for what you've given. Hebrews 13, 16 says it this way. Do not neglect to do good and share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. So whatever God has blessed you with, it's pleasing to God when we sacrifice of what we have to bless others with it. Deuteronomy 15, 11, For there will never cease to be poor in the land. Therefore I command you, you shall open wide your hand to your brother, to the needy, and to the poor in your land. Now we would expect the Bible to say that of the poor and the needy, but what I love of this passage is that it says don't neglect your brother, the person who's sitting in the row beside you your brother or sister that might look just like you but is going through a tough time. Open wide your hand and sacrifice for them as well. One of my favorite examples from this is a friend of mine named Deborah. In 2018, when Hurricane Florence hit our Conway campus, man, she modeled for us what it looked like to give of her time and talents and treasures. We gotta shoot some of their story. Check this out. We were told that we're not on a floodplain, so we said, okay, this is good, because we were gonna get flood insurance. I think the first year we did, and then they you know, kind of said, don't worry about it. So they started talking about uh, you know, Florence coming in, and it was gonna be four feet higher, and we weren't sure what four feet higher meant, and uh, I'm a radio operator, so I was running a net. So just before the net, I looked, and I noticed a little bit of water coming in the garage, and I quickly jumped, and I called Katie and said, we're getting water. I don't know what I was thinking. I know what I was thinking. I've never been in a flood before. But she thought we were in trouble, and I thought we were just fine. And uh, I was not right. It got up to uh, about 18 inches. Right after Dean came up, um, and we were still thinking about what to do, I was speaking to Deborah. She said, are you okay? And I said, no. And I started bawling my eyes out. And um, she said, get out of there. You need to get out of there. And I'm telling her all the things that we were thinking maybe we could do. She says, no, get out of there. She says, we care about you, we're worried about you, you need to be safe, get out. The house is full of water, so we had to trudge through the water and the floors floated, laminates floating around and, and uh, we were trying to save stuff. But then it got so high, we couldn't do that anymore. And then at some point it was, kept rising and the National Guard was saying, we're about to the last height before we can rescue anymore. So if you don't leave today, you're here until the water goes down. And so we got in there and they rescued us out of there. But then once you leave, they don't let you back in. And Deborah was at the other side of the water, waiting patiently yeah, for us. Up. And she was the one, really, ugh. She's the one that convinced me to get out of there. And she and Daniel, I'm sorry. She and Daniel took us in, our whole family, even the dog. And they're not a dog family. They, they, maybe they are now, I don't know. But <laughs> um, they took us all in, and they kept us for a month. We couldn't come back to the water settled, and it's kind of funny because it goes down pretty fast when it finally goes down. So I came here, and uh, uh, Denny and Sandy were here uh, from Christ in Action. 
I pulled up and I just saw the devastation at that point. And it smelled awful and there were dead fish everywhere on the ground and everything was just coated with this, this yucky, muddy kind of look. And saw my neighbors are like zombies walking around and I just melted, I mean, I fell to my knees. He said, we looked in your car because your one door got pushed open by the water and your two cars in the garage are totaled. Then my two kids both lost their cars. We lost three cars in the process. And uh, I didn't go back in. I, I said to Danny, he said, I don't know, Danny, if I could stay out. But, I, but he said, I, just for me, he said, would you do that? So I did, but I came back and just came back and just hugged all the neighbors and we just cried together. First thing I thought of when I realized what was really happening, was, okay, first of all, how are we going to get this fixed? And second of all, how are we going to find somebody that we can trust? You know, because you know there are people that, you know, that come out of the, the woodwork and they they take advantage of people in this situation. And I, I don't know about Dean, but I had these visions of just, you know, living in a disaster zone for however long it took us to just come up with the money bit by bit to restore it, which would be a long time. And... I mean, I can't even I can't even explain the feeling when Deborah called and said that Seacoast was gonna fix the downstairs when, for us. When she said it, I was like, "Okay, now what did you just really say?" Yeah, yeah. What? what, what no, what do you mean? And so I kept asking. She says, "Well, just call Deborah." So <laughs> if you don't yeah. believe it, I said, "Well, I, I just don't understand the specifics because we are not used to the people doing this for us. This is not our life." And so the Christ for Action people were wonderful. They came in, they just chopped everything down, and, um, you know, they got rid of what they had to get rid of. Just out of, you know, God's love, out of the goodness of their heart, they, they're doing what needed to be done to save our house. We really have no family anywhere near, and so uh, the church kind of becomes our family kind of thing, and that's, that's what it evolved into. But you never know where you stand and all that kind of stuff, and, and, uh, but then you see the outpour and this, you know, we were blown away by it. We, we Absolutely not. blown away. All my life I've heard body of Christ, body of Christ. That's the body of Christ. <laughs> Sorry. It, it was it was amazing because um, we've usually been in the position of trying to help somebody. You know, so there's a problem, they need some money, we dig in and see what we can do, we donate money. And now we change the rules of receiving and it's really kind of hard. It's so Humbling. And the church is just, well, I don't know what we do without it. I really I, don't know. I don't know what people do without God's love. I don't know what they do. How do you survive? How do you not get bitter? Because this feels like you're being picked on. and, and You could no so easily go it. that way. Yeah. But people say you can't see God. <laughs> Open your eyes and look around here. Any of this, all of this is God's people in action. I love that picture of Deborah giving up her time, standing on the other side of those floodwaters, saying, get out of there, get out of there. She gave up her talent. She had some connections. Deborah's family actually started Christ in Action after 9-11. So she knew some people that could help. She was part of a church that she knew would want to help. She leveraged her time and talents and her resources. She took them in for a month. I love that line of like, and they took us and our dogs, and they're not even dog people. <laughs> Like, you know how that goes. It just makes me think, I would take any of you in unless you had cats. Your cat's gonna have to stay at the house. <laughs> I just I can't do it, you know? You know, if you were to sit down 
with the man who was helped in the story of the Good Samaritan, if you were to sit down with that couple, both of them would talk with you about a person who stepped towards them in their time of greatest pain and brought about relief and blessing that helped them in incredible ways practically in their life. But best of all and most of all, they would have a story about the compassion of God, the love of God that so transformed their life that today it compels them to love deeper, to live different. You know, when Jesus told us we would do greater things than he did, man, we have got to have an open heart. We've gotta have willing hands. We've gotta be willing to, to get involved, to share resources, and as we do, we're gonna help and bless people practically, absolutely. But there will be no question that they will encounter the love of God in a way that will forever transform their life. And our name, by God's grace, is gonna be able to be attached to it, right? That we were his ambassador, that we were someone that he used to usher in life change, to make a difference in their lives. We've always been a church that strived to do that through dream centers and local missions and global missions. But man, what would it look like? if each and every one of us individually across all of our campuses took up that mandate that I've been called by God. I have been empowered by God. He's saying, you feed him. You make the difference. I've been empowered by him to make a difference in the world around me. Church, can you imagine the transformation that we would experience, the miracles that we would see as we give the little bit that we have in our hands and we get to see God multiply it and bless it. We would experience the miraculous and we would see a people blessed and transformed. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much that you have called us, you have empowered us to make a difference in the world around us. I praise you, God, for having compassion towards me, for seeing me, for seeing us while we were still a long way off, for sending your son to die on the cross for our sin, God, may the compassion you had towards us cause compassion to rise up in us, that we would be difference makers to the pain and problems and brokenness around us. God, may we have willing hands to not just hear about the stories or not just, not just fund them getting better, but to actively be a part of the solution, that we would get our hands dirty, that we would walk with people, that we would bandage their wounds, that we would care for them. God, that we would share the resources that you have blessed us with to bring about change in the lives of others. May we be difference makers, and may we see you move in miraculous ways. In Jesus' name, amen.